0: Hello! Thank you for your interest in spiritual matters. My name is Ethan, and I work with the Venice Church of Christ. We're disciples making disciples in the west side of Los Angeles. And we're glad that you've joined us as we continue to explore a very fundamental, very basic, yet extremely important issue, a matter that it's always good to kind of go over again, even though you might have heard about it already a few times. You, If you, if you are a Christian, you've probably already gone through it. Uh, but just, again, to remind us of everything going on uh, with our salvation and to have a deep appreciation and so that we don't forget it. Uh, we've been talking about the plan of salvation, which is to hear the gospel, to believe that Jesus is a Christ, to confess him, to repent of our sins, to be baptized, and then to live an obedient life in the faith. And we've looked previously at the need to hear the gospel. In Romans 10, Paul talks about this, that hearing is essential so as to know the gospel and to know the need to obey it, that if it's not preached, it can't be heard. If it can't be heard, it can't be believed. If it can't be believed, it can't be obeyed. And so it shows the very important aspect of, of, of God's purposes is to have the message proclaimed, and that all Christians ought to proclaim the excellencies of God who delivered us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So we are to preach the gospel, and therefore people are to hear the gospel. But what are they supposed to do when they hear it? Well, that's what we're going to talk about next, which is to believe. And the scriptures attest in many places to the importance of belief to being saved. In Acts chapter 16, The Philippian jailer has just seen this major earthquake. And Paul and Silas are there, and all these prisoners are there, and because of the earthquake, all their bonds have been loosed. And the jailer is about to kill himself to commit suicide, which is the way that a Roman soldier would handle the indignity of having lost his charge, because if the commander the next day sees that he's lost all the prisoners, the sentence will be execution anyway, and so it was conceived more noble to do the act yourself. But Paul cries out to him, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And so this jailer... We don't know how much he's been hearing of the praying. We don't know what else is going on. But he just rushes to Paul and Silas and he comes and he asks them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, we talked the last. When we talk about hearing, we talked about the hearing comes from, uh, <clears throat> faith comes from hearing, hearing through the word of Christ in verse 17, but earlier in verse 9, Paul says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. In 1 John 5, First John uh, at 5 and verse 13, as John is encouraging the Christians, he declares to them that he writes these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. That that's the kind of confidence that they could have. And uh, above all, the Hebrew author in Hebrews 11 and verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. And so we see in all these passages that you need to believe to be saved. Belief is a fundamental aspect of uh, the plan of salvation and of the life of a Christian. There's just no way around it. And so there's lots of scriptures talk about the fact that we need to believe, and we need to believe. The problem is that in the religious world, for all sorts of reasons, a lot of confusion exists about what it means to believe. And so that's why we need to look into belief a little deeper. Asking the question, what do the authors of Scripture mean when they say that we need to believe? What did Paul mean to that jailer when he said you need to believe? What what does the Hebrew author mean when he says we must believe that God exists and is rewarded those who seek Him? And that's what we'd like to spend some time considering today. To understand belief... Uh, There are a lot of people who will look at the word believe. And you may go to a dictionary. And one of the definitions, or something akin to this, is that to believe as giving mental assent to a proposition. What does that mean? That seems like a bunch of gobbledygook, right? Well, it means to give a mental affirmation to, which is basically easiest to understand if we make a comparison. Uh, You may say, I believe that 2 plus 2 equals 4. Okay? That is mental assent to a proposition. The proposition is 2 plus 2 equals 4. And if you accept that that statement is true, you believe in it. I believe that 2 plus 2 equals 4. You believe that 2 plus 2 is 4, probably. And so that's the belief that, that is involved. Now, so in this way of looking at it, to say, uh, to believe in Jesus Christ would be to say that you give mental assent to the proposition that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That you're saying in your mind, I believe that yes, what the, I believe that the statements made in scripture about Jesus are true. I believe he is the Christ. That means I believe he is the king. I believe he is the Messiah. I believe he is the one that uh, Israel expected, uh, that the prophets had foretold. I believe that he is the son of God. Uh, I believe that, that he was raised from the dead, which is how he was declared the son of God, according to Paul. Uh, I believe that he has all authority. I mean, These are all uh, the the idea is what's going on here. When you say you believe in Jesus, that that is all true. And yes, we are absolutely to give mental affirmation in the sense of those propositions. We must accept mentally as true that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is King, that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is a what the prophets had spoken of, that he was raised from the dead, that in him we have the hope and confidence of the resurrection, etc., 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 But is that it? A lot of people have said, that's all you need to do. All you need to do is to believe that those things are true. And they have provided the suggestion that all these passages talking about belief, that that's what's involved. And that's all that's involved. But is that what Scripture actually says? And the difficulty of that is that belief is not used that way many times. It actually is, though, one place. And actually, it's a very important example for us. In James chapter 2, and in verse 19, uh, James uses belief in that way, talking about mental essential proposition. When he says, there in James 2, verse 19, even, uh, you believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe, and shudder. said, yeah, you, you believe that God is one. That's one of the great things and uh, the Shema that all the Jews would recite multiple times a day from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh is God. Yahweh is one. It is absolutely true. The demons believe that, too. The demons accept that as a true proposition. And they shudder, because the demons aren't going to be saved by that. So, The New Testament isn't suggesting that all that's involved in belief is having mental acceptance that Jesus is who he says he is. That's certainly a part of it, but the New Testament has an expectation that belief means more than that. Because even in English, belief is not limited to the idea that you agree that a given statement or or situation is true. We often in English will talk about believing in someone. You may believe in the United States. You tell somebody you know, when they're, if you got a child or a friend and they're playing in a game or they're in a competition, you say, you know, I believe in you. And what you mean by that, you're not saying that you give mental acceptance to the proposition that they exist. No, you're saying, I have confidence in you. I have, I trust that you are able to do this. Uh, and, and that's why it's an encouraging statement. And this is exactly the way that the New Testament is frequently using these terms. Paul will use these terms in First Timothy chapter one and verse eleven, and Titus one and verse three, when he says that he was entrusted with the gospel; that God uh, believed in him enough to, put, to give him the gospel to send it to others. Uh, John two twenty four: Jesus did not entrust himself to the people. He did not have the confidence in the people to hand himself over to them so that they would do to him as they wished, because he knew what was in man. So, a big aspect of believing in Christ is to have confidence in him and to trust in him. And that is a natural consequence from believing in him. Because if you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that means he's in control. And if he's in control, that means we're not. And it means that we need to trust him. If he says, go this way, we can say, no, 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 I'm going to go that way. Because then we're not honoring Him as Lord. If He is Lord, we need to trust Him. And so that's why even mental acceptance or opposition is to lead to this deeper, fuller idea of belief, the one that is manifest throughout the New Testament. Because in John 6 and verse 29... The Jews want to know what is the work of God that we should do it to be saved, and Jesus said, "This is the work of God that you believe on Him whom He has sent." And so here, Paul, Jesus says, "The the work to do that God wants you to do is belief, which which involves more than just mental acceptance of a proposition." In Mark sixteen sixteen, Jesus says that he who believes and is baptized shall be saved, but the one who does not believe will be condemned. And a lot of people cry, "Well, what happens to somebody who who believes but is not baptized?" Jesus doesn't have to talk about them, because if you believe, you're going to be baptized, because he commanded it, and you're putting your trust in him. If you don't believe, you wouldn't think about being baptized, and and so that's why you have the two statements as written. And we can really understand this when we continue to look into what it means to believe. And we're going to have to get into the Greek and to understand the way things are being reflected here in the New Testament, not to confuse, but hopefully to illuminate. Because we got these two Greek words, pisteuo and pistis. And they sound similar, and it is because they are. Because pisteuo is the verb, and pistis is the noun. Okay? Now, in English, we have belief as a noun and to believe as a verb. Right? Uh, but in Greek, pistis, which is the noun form of pisteuo, the verb, the verb pisteo is to believe. Okay, and that's how it's translated most of the time. In Second Thessalonians two and verse thirteen, in the English Standard Version, uh, the word pistis is translated as belief. It the word is used two hundred and forty three other times in the New Testament. But it's never translated as belief in those passages. It's translated as faith. Where it, faith is the noun of which believe is the verb. So to believe is to have faith. If you have faith, you believe. And that's why, when we talk about the plan of salvation, we say that you are to hear, you're to believe, to confess, to repent, be baptized, and to be obedient. Faith isn't in there. And, and if you know much about the New Testament, you know how often Paul will talk about justification by faith, that we are saved by faith. Well, where is faith in the plan of salvation? Well, it's because to have faith equals to believe. In the Greek, we wouldn't see this as a confusing thing, because pistis, that noun that Paul's been using all the time, talk about faith, is very much there in that verb, to believe. And therefore, and this is important for our conversation, it means that the characteristics of faith as described in the New Testament as a state of being, because it's a noun, reflect the action of belief that you can't separate faith and belief as belief being one thing and faith another, because in the New Testament, faith is the noun, believe is the verb. And so what's true about the state of having belief, to believe, as seen in faith, is also going to be true of the verb. Now, in Hebrews 11, verse 1, the Hebrew author helpfully defines what faith is. That faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That word assurance is a Greek kupostasis, which is literally to stand under. It's a support. It's it's something that props something up. That faith is our conviction over the authority and person of Jesus Christ. That faith is the state of having belief, that you have the mental assent to and trust in Jesus as the Christ. That's what's going on in faith. Is faith only a mental exercise? And this is where we see, of course, what James says in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, Was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when he, she received the messengers and sent them outed by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Oh, well, There's so many different ways that passage is taken. And, and of course, for, for 1,500 years, the question has been, how does that work with what Paul says about justification uh, by faith apart from works in Romans 3 and 4 and Galatians 3? Uh, for our purposes, it's important to know two things. First of all, uh, this idea that we are saved by faith alone, which is so prevalent in, in the world of Protestantism, the only time those two words, faith and only, are put together are in James 2 here, where he says, um, you can see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. The only time it's used in the New Testament is in a negation, which is important for us to remember. The only time the Bible explicitly talks about it's in negation, which means we should be very leery and suspicious at the idea. But when we look here, what what James is making abundantly clear is that you can't separate out the idea of faith as a mental sense of proposition from faith as trust. That mental sense proposition is not going to do it in and of itself. That faith must be manifest by works. And some people say, what comes first, faith or works? Like saying, what comes first? A chicken or the egg. Uh, and you, you can't have one without the other. Uh, if you have works without faith, Paul makes that very clear in verse Grants 13 other places. That's not going to justify. No one's going to justify the works of the law. If you have faith without works, it's like a child being born stillborn. The substance may all be there, but it doesn't have what enlivens it. It's a stillborn. It's dead. It is, It. it it's not what it's supposed to be. And so it, it can't save you. None, neither of those can save you. So if we're Christians, to become a Christian, there must be faith and works of obedience along with that faith, quickening that faith. We must have the belief which provides the structure and the substance, and then we have to have that which enlivens it, which is the faith, the, the works, the obedience in our lives. That faith and works are intertwined. That and here's a statement that's very difficult sometimes to parse through, but it's very true, that we are not saved by works, we cannot be saved without them. And that's something that doesn't get emphasized. Everyone says, well, we're not saved by our works. And the Bible makes that very clear uh, in Ephesians 2 and in J- in Titus 3, let alone in Romans, the idea, look, uh, if I'm going to stand before God and say, you know, I deserve salvation because I have been awesome, God will just have to point out my sins, which won't, aren't, it won't be very hard to do. And if I well, know you're not awesome, if that's your standard, you're going to hell. I, if I'm going to be saved, it's by God's gift that he's given in Jesus. It's not done something I've earned or deserved by merit. On the other hand, the New Testament makes it abundantly clear that those who do the will of God are the ones who are going to be saved. In Romans 2, that's the standard of judgment. Matthew 7, those who do not do the will of the Father in heaven are the ones who are going to be cast out on the day of judgment. And as we see here, faith without works is dead. So you If you really trust that God is who he says he is, and Jesus is who he says he is, you really believe that and you put your trust in him, you're going to do what he says. That that doing is as important as the believing. And that believing is as important as the doing. And that you can't, trying to argue which one is more important than the other, uh, that they're both necessary, that they need each other, And that trying to take one piece of that equation out and to leave the other is going to be sufficient is to distort and to go beyond what the Bible has said and gone into something that is in fact contrary to what God has said. Even in that letter to the Romans where Paul talks so frequently and eloquently about salvation by faith, and again, we're not. Dist- we're, there's no desire to deny that. We absolutely have to have faith. We need to put our trust in Jesus. That's all. That's going to save us. But to put our trust in Jesus is, is to follow after Him. That's why He says in Romans one and verse five uh, that through Jesus, that Paul has received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the nation, sake of His name among all the nations. That there's obedience of faith. That that's what faith is going to lead to and at the end of that book in chapter 16 and in verse 26 Paul encourages them and says that he that uh, the gospel mystery which is the gospel has now been disclosed to the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith so Romans at the beginning and the end are both bookended by this, this goal of obedience and faith yes we're saved by faith but faith needs to be obedient that how do you go from being to be under grace in Romans six? It's because you've become obedient to that standard of teaching to which you've been committed, and you become a slave of righteousness. That is absolutely a part of it, and that it, you can't take just the faith out as as if that's all that's there—the mental sense of the proposition—and uh, the rest of what goes into faith uh, doesn't matter or is somehow less important. The New Testament never does that. Paul never does that. Peter never does that. Jesus most certainly never does that. Yes, Paul will emphasize we need to put our trust in the Lord Jesus, and that's what's going to save us. But what does Paul mean by that? He does not find any cognitive dissonance by saying that you have faith when you obey the Lord Jesus. He has no cognitive dissonance thinking that, well, now you're trusting in works. He doesn't think that. That's not necessary. That everything must be motivated by trust. That's something that was not fully grasped in all the arguments during the Reformation. We also have in Hebrews 11, all of those men of old. What does the Hebrew author point out? That by faith, by faith, by faith, yes, they all have faith, but by faith what? By faith, they did these things. By faith, Abraham went to a different country. By faith, he offered his son. By faith, Moses led the people out of Israel. Egypt. By faith, the prophets acted. By faith, David acted. They acted. They trusted in God and they obeyed. And uh, we also have the testimony of the self-same Peter that we just mentioned. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and in verse 21, Peter says that about Jesus, that through Jesus we are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from pure heart, since you've been born again. And he continues on. So notice there that, that P- Peter will say in one verse, okay, you are believers in God through Jesus, and that you have purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. And he has no cognitive dissonance at all. He can say both of those things are true at the same time. And so that is what we must stand in and ground ourselves in, that kind of understanding about faith. So, as faith denotes obedience, believing denotes acting in accordance with God's commands. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 3-6, how does John say that we know that we know God? When we do his commandments and we walk as Jesus walked that requires activity if we're going to truly trust in God we're going to have to do things that demonstrate that trust in God to believe in Christ means a whole lot more than just to give mental assent to the proposition that Jesus is a Christ although we must do so that we need to trust that Jesus the Christ and the living God and demonstrate that trust in how we live. So, absolutely, I want no confusion about this at all. I don't want you to be confused or to walk away thinking that belief is somehow unimportant. It is extremely important. There is no attempt here to deny the importance that we all have give mental acceptance to the truths that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Son of Man, that he has fulfilled all the prophets said of the Christ, that he is the Christ, that he was raised from the dead, and that he now currently is Lord and reigns from heaven, and that he is returning one day. We need to believe these things in the sense of giving mental assent to those statements as being true. What we are saying is that is not all that is involved in belief. That is not all that the authors of the New Testament meant when they said belief. And we know this because we see what they're writing. We saw how James pointed out that that wasn't sufficient, that Paul and Peter and Jesus expect that if you believe that those things are true, if you accept those statements as true, that means you're going to put your trust in Jesus as Lord. And that means you're going to do what he says. Those are all natural consequences. So the Hebrew author says that it is necessary to have faith in God, that we must have faith that God exists, and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. Both of those are important elements. Faith without works is dead. Therefore, let us be believers. Let us be defined by the fact that we are the ones who have put their trust in the Lord Jesus, believing mentally that the statements are true. And then living by them. Maybe maybe you you don't quite agree on everything we've said about belief. You'd like to talk more about it. Maybe you are realizing the importance of belief and you need to learn more about Jesus and put your trust in Him or to be directed as to the way forward. Uh, maybe you have other things going on. Maybe you just want to talk about stuff. Maybe you have prayer requests. Maybe you got stuff going on. Any way we can be of service, let us know. Please contact me through my website at That's wwwde Uh Or if you're interested in more information about the Venice Church of Christ, you want to check us out or just want more information about who we are, we're online at org. We're also on social media, on Facebook and Twitter, Instagram, and other places at Venice Church or Venice Church of Christ. We again thank you and have a great day.